if your child has developmental delays or if you're thinking that perhaps there might be some delays going on, what is the process that you'll be taken through? We always want to figure out what's on the other side of possibly a diagnosis or some therapy. Join us today. We have an exciting episode where we are going to talk to an occupational therapist or OT and find out what is on the other side and that there is hope. And it's not just because there's a diagnosis that we need to be concerned. There is hope on the other side. As mothers who need to add money to the family budget, we thought we only had two options. Get a job and put our kids in daycare or start a home daycare. But what if there was a third option, a better way that would allow you to create a consistent income and make a difference in children's lives while still staying home with your kids? I'm Joy Anderson, and this is the Preschool All-Stars Podcast, where I'm going to share exactly how myself and thousands of other moms have created successful preschools so you can do the same. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome back to the Preschool All-Stars Podcast. I'm your host, Joy Anderson, and with me today is my good friend, Jamie Spencer. She is the creator of Miss Jamie OT, and we are so grateful to have her here. She has been a pediatric OT for the past 20 years, and she's been able to serve ages kindergarten all the way through 12th grade in the public school system. She's also spent 10 years helping in a sensory gym with preschool age children. So Jamie, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So I'm so excited to talk about the journey that parents or even teachers need to understand when we see developmental delays in our students or our children. But let's back up a second. How did you get involved in occupational therapy in the very beginning? Well, I knew that I wanted to be an OT when I was 16. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Yeah. When I was thinking about what I was going to do when I grew up, I was looking into all different careers and I found out about occupational therapy and I just loved it. And I went to school for it and that was it. My mom always laughs. She's like, you're the only kid who ever knew what she wanted to do, did it and stuck with it and loves it. (laughs) And I do. I really do. It's a great, great profession. That's awesome. So from the very moment at 16, knowing that this was your heart, and then you got into the field, you've been doing that for 20 years. What has your uh, experience been? Have you worked outside of the public school system for those 20 years as well? I've basically been working at the same job in the public schools for 20 years, but I love OT so much. I've always had my hand in other things. So for a very long time, I worked after school at a sensory gym and with preschoolers mainly. And I loved that as well. And I also worked in a hospital per diem with adults because actually when I went to school to be an occupational therapist, my goal was to work with adults. I wanted to do spinal cord injury. And I ended up in pediatrics and working with children. And I loved it so much that I ended up staying there. But I still didn't want to miss that part of OT. So I work per diem with adults in a hospital, which is a lot of fun also. That's awesome. Now, to some of our listeners who don't understand sensory gym, could you clarify that for just a second? Yes, that's actually a great question. So in general, a sensory gym is a place where parents will bring their children for either therapy or for play. And one thing that parents should know is that Many occupational therapists are specifically trained in sensory integration therapy, and many are not. So it is important to ask that question. If you are planning to take your child to a sensory gym and you feel that they have sensory issues that you'd like to get help with, you should ask for a sensory trained therapist. 
because there are all OTs know about sensory, but not everyone is specifically trained in it because it is very in-depth and complicated theory and there is specific training to it. So you want to make sure if that's what you're looking for, that that's what you get. Oh, thank you for clarifying. And I, it was really fun to see, uh, previously I lived in Boise, Idaho and it was fun to see, I saw a sensory gym open up downtown. I was like, yes, that's amazing. And they're starting to pop up and become more normalized throughout the country, which is exciting. And they're fun too. Yes. Totally. So the reason why I brought you on, I mean, I needed you to be on because I've gone through my own journey with my own family, uh, experiencing the the backside of what do we do when we see a child with developmental delays and what does that process look like and what is OT? And, and so because of that experience, I've truly found I want to educate other mothers and other teachers to know that there is hope and that this is kind of the process. I think where this all started for me was I was noticing my son was struggling in school. And a lot of times we'll see these things pop up, some things that could be maybe, hmm, this doesn't seem right. This seems a little bit off, right? And so uh, he was very active, but not so much just active, just could not sit still always moving, always fidgeting, and uh, really, truly just struggling with his placement in the world, actually. And we were able to go through the process to consult a pediatrician and, and finally went into occupational therapy. And there I realized that there was something called, I'll call it a big word, but proprioception. Oh my goodness, this word I don't think many people know about, and hopefully I said it correctly. Could you please tell our listeners about what this word means? Because it might help A lot of our moms and teachers understand these children a little bit more. So proprioception is awareness of where your body is in space. Our skin and our joints and our muscles give our brain feedback to let us know where we are in space. So that's what proprioception is. And there are many children who struggle with proprioception and it can impact the way they move, the way they motor plan. You might notice children who you know, they always look disheveled and their pants are falling down and they (laughs) might have, you know, boogers on their face and they don't feel it. And that, you know, they're just not aware. They might not have as much sensory awareness of their body, of what's happening with their body, of how their body feels. They may have trouble also with recognizing when they're hungry or when they're full or when they have to go to the bathroom or when they don't feel well. Sometimes they have a diminished sense of pain. It can impact so many children in so many different ways, but it's basically body awareness if we want to make it easy. That's, yep. And check, 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 check. As you said, those things that I was like, yep, all with with my son. So I can completely understand that. I think it's it's really important for us as educators and parents to realize just because a child is very wiggly, <laughs> right? That's also number one, just that's children in general. <laughs> but also we could think that uh, we do want to see, is there something else going on, right? And like you mentioned, there's a lot of different things that we talked about there. When our parents and educators see a child who might have some signs of developmental delays, can you walk us through that process? What does that look like from the very moment of saying, huh, I wonder, what should that process look like? So it's different for the teacher than it is for the parent. For the parent, it's important to trust your gut. Very often, parents may go to their pediatrician and they may say, oh, I'm seeing something. And it's important for parents to know that pediatricians see a huge range of children. And they always say children develop at their own pace and everything like that. So your pediatrician may say, that's normal. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine. 
And that's good to know and, and keep that in your heart and be glad. But if something's bugging you and you feel like, hmm, then you, ca- you should look into it. You know, the earlier that you can catch something, the better. I've worked with children who were two to three years old who presented as severe, like with severe autism and the symptoms that you would see. And because their moms and dads got them into therapy so early and they had so much, and it was, it's like a job for the parent, unfortunately. It's so much work of bringing the child to OT and PT and speech or whatever, but the children are fine. You know, I ran into a little girl last summer at the beach and she was nine and she was one of my little ones that I loved her to death, but she really had, she presented as severely autistic, you know, all the flapping, all the, all the things that you think of when you hear the word autism. And when I tell you she was running up and down the beach doing cartwheels, she's like the head cheerleader. She's plays the violin. Like she's amazing. She has tons of friends. Eye contact was good. Like she is 100% fine, declassified, doesn't get any help. So the earlier that you can get help, the better. The parent needs to contact the school. If the child is under three years old, I'm sorry, it depends where you live. Where I live, if the child's under three, then it's early intervention. And it's a different, I want to say, government that takes care of early intervention than it is school. So once the child hits three, they're considered school age, even though it's preschool. And then the school district is responsible for taking care of that child. So if your child is under three, you have to Google where you live and find out where to go for early intervention evaluations. If your child's over three, then you're going to look into your school district and you have to write a letter to the special education department and ask for an evaluation. You have to do it in writing most of the time. That's where I live. If it's not in writing, it doesn't count. (laughs) So you have to put it in writing and request an evaluation and give examples of what you're seeing or what you're suspecting, because that will allow the administrator to properly line up the right professionals to go evaluate your child. I love that. And so thank you for helping to understand as parents, this is kind of the process. Um, As educators, what I've seen works well in the classroom is as teachers, sometimes we feel hesitant to bring up, like, how do we have that conversation without the parent getting defensive, right? How do we know how to start it? One of the best ways that I've found is to start the conversation with a parent like, hi, I'm loving, you know, having so-and-so in our class and obviously build up the child's uh, strengths and then say, I have noticed and give a few specific examples of things that you've noticed in the classrooms of behaviors or delays that might be happening. Have you seen that at home? So we're kind of now all of a sudden having a conversation. We're bridging it without saying these are problem concerns, but now we're just having a conversation. 100%. That is the best way to do it. But it is important to let the parent know because like the pediatrician, the teacher sees a lot of children and they're all different ranges. So the teacher will have an inkling of "Mm, this is a little more than what's typical. So the parent only has, you know, whatever children they have, not that many probably. So they only have their own children to compare to. So it is important that the teacher gives the parent a heads up. And I like to also say, you know, I'm noticing from the OT perspective, I'm noticing, you know, he's having trouble with A, B, or C. Here's some things you can do at home to help with that. Just so not only is the parent aware, but also on the team helping support the child. 
Absolutely. So starting that conversation and now where do we go from here? Here's some resources. Now let's say that we have the conversation again where as educators to the parents and then would the next step then be if we feel like there's a concern here, you might want to take your child to the pediatrician and keep going down that route, OT, uh, what do we call it? An, an evaluation, right? Well, it depends again on the age of the child in terms of them being in school. The teacher may say, oh, go see your pediatrician, but the teacher's responsibility is to take care of the child within the school setting. So she needs to figure out what professionals do I need help from within the school setting. So usually there's a team of, you know, teachers, educators, maybe a speech therapist, an OT that meet and go over certain children that the teacher has concerns about. And then that team will make suggestions for the teacher and what things to put into place. And then they'll monitor the child and see, are those suggestions working? Do they need more support? And it may go, it may end up going through the channel for a special education evaluation. That's okay, generally perfect. how it works in the school setting. I love that. Thank you for clarifying. I think uh, some of our preschool owners that are separate than the public school district, we see it just a little bit different approach. And so I love seeing the blend where we can, you know, merge into the, the district's uh, resources to get that child help. That's beautiful. So now let's say that we do have the time where uh, we are, we've been recommended to have occupational therapy. What does that look like from the moment that we, you know, set that we first come into our doors? What kind of things can the parents expect that once we say goodbye to our child and an OT takes over, what happens in that setting? Most of the time, it looks just like play. And that's what's so fun about my job. I've had parents say, oh my God, your job is so fun. And I'm like, yeah, it is. But there's a reason behind everything that we're doing. So I've had, you know, using toys and games and other things as a therapeutic tool. So it depends on what the child's weaknesses are. We could be working on their visual perception skills, which is like doing puzzles and things like that. But we may have them do it while they're on a swing because we're also looking at their their visual tracking or their balance. So it generally just looks to the parent like lots of fun. But do know that the therapist, you know, is trained in what they're doing and there's a reason behind everything. And I always say too, you know, how you say to your child, how was your day? What did you do? Nothing. What did you say? <laughs> Nothing. You know, they may say, what did you do in OT? And I've had some moms that I worked with privately say, oh, his OT doesn't do anything with him. And I'm like, well, how do you know? Because you're not, you're not at school. And she goes, oh, she wrote me a note. She said that they played cards. I'm like, well, cards work on tracking. They work on fine motor skills. They work on using two hands. They work on mm -hmm. matching colors or signs or symbols. Depends on what the OT was trying to work on, but she didn't want to write you a whole big fat note about <laughs> it because number one, she wants to work with your kid and not write the note. But number two, she doesn't want to explain it all in those medical terms and jargon. She's just letting you know. And if you want to know more, ask. That's all. I, I do find that there's a bit of a communication. I don't want to say barrier. It's just a miscommunication sometimes. So it's important for OTs to kind of explain what they're doing and why they're doing it. But it's great if parents and teachers ask. I make a habit when I'm in school and I have a child, sometimes we'll be working on strengthening and I'll have the child laying on a scooter and pulling themselves along in the hallway. And inevitably, somebody passes by and says, <laughs> oh, that looks so fun. 
And I make a habit of saying yes. And he's getting so strong. His handwriting is going to be so neat. So I let the person, the grown up, know the benefit of why I'm doing that. I'm not just being mm-hmm. a silly goose having the kid on a scooter in the middle of the hallway. It's because he needs to build up his back and neck strength and his arms and his use of two sides together. So it's, you know, there's always a lot behind the fun thing that looks like it's going on. Well, and thank heavens it is fun because our children are needing to go through it, right? We need to have that therapy. 100%. Beautiful that you have, uh, and that all OTs create these, um, what? It is play, but play is work, right? And it is their work. Yes. It is their job. That's their job as a kid is to learn and play and develop. And why not use toys to work on that and have fun with it? Absolutely. So if you have a child or student who has some perhaps developmental delays or any concerns that you have, reach out. Uh, Be sure to go get the correct resources so that you can move forward. The earlier, the better. Early intervention is key. And know that even on the other side, there is hope, there is possibilities for your, of course, for your child as they go through therapy to improve. And I think that is the biggest uh, thing for all of us to remember that there is hope on the other side. Uh, Jamie, is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we wrap up? No, I think that was a great conversation and I'm excited to get to share the OT's perspective of it. Because if you want strategies for helping your child and the person, whether it's an OT or a speech or a teacher, isn't giving you ways to follow through, ask because we've got tons of ways and we're happy. A lot of parents don't ask. And a lot of parents, sometimes if we make the suggestions, there are parents who don't have time to do those things or don't want to do those things. So you never know. And it's a good habit to just say, oh, he's doing that. Is there anything I can do at home to help? And guaranteed, you'll get a nice big fat list of suggestions. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Thank you so much for bringing that on. Now you have a beautiful website of resources, free resources that people can go learn more about OT and how to help their own children and students. And of course, you have some paid amazing resources as well. Where can everybody go to follow you and to be able to get more information on how to help their children and students? My website is MissJamieOT.com and Jamie is spelled J-A-I-M-E. That's a problem. <laughs> a lot of people misspell <laughs> it, but it's MissJamieOT.com. I also have a Facebook page with a lot of videos and information for parents, which have been really helpful to so many families. They've reached out to me and said, oh, because of that video, I realized, and now I teach him handwriting this way, or now I give him these sensory toys. So that is a great way to educate yourself and get some tips and tricks as well. That's perfect. So everybody, be sure to go to MissJamieOT.com, spelled J-A-I-M-E, <laughs> so that you can get all of your resources and continue to follow her along the way. Again, Jamie, thank you so much for being on our podcast. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Preschool All-Stars podcast. If you want to learn more about how you can create your own successful preschool so you can stay home with your kids, create a consistent income, and make a difference in children's lives, then be sure to head over to joyanderson.com to pick up your free copy of my book, Start Your Preschool. It has over 300 pages and teaches you how to create a successful local or online preschool. The book is free. All that I ask is you help cover the cost of shipping. Again, go to joyanderson.com to get your free copy of my book. Until next time, keep serving, keep teaching, and keep growing. We'll talk to you soon.